Welcome back to Mathematically Speaking. I'm your host, Adam Allred, and today we're going to be finishing the Mathematics of Egypt. Just a heads up, this episode is going to be quite a short one, but hopefully it'll just dive into some topics that we can have further conversation on outside of the show. Now, on to potentially the greatest achievement in ancient Egypt, the construction of the pyramids. Besides the technical and mechanical prowess needed to construct these wonders of the world, they also require impressive mathematical knowledge. The knowledge of Pythagorean triples to construct the right angles in the stones that they used, while they would use ropes with knots indicating the lengths of 3, 4, and 5 to ensure that they had right angles. So again, 3, 4, and 5 is a Pythagorean triple that we mentioned when we talked about Mesopotamian knowledge. And Mesopotamia and Egypt being so close to each other, they shared a lot of knowledge. So this isn't like they invented it on their own. It pro- there was probably some conversation back and forth. They would need to understand the geometry involved, how scaling the base would affect the height. And in recent findings, the papyrus scrolls, as of 2013, suggest that the stones were transported down the Nile River, then dragged in sleds to the construction site. To make the dragging easier, they would wet the sand in front of the sled. And if you ever tried skimboarding, you take a surfboard that's shortened and long and rounder, ride it along wet sand as the, as the tide pulls away, and you understand how slick sand can get doesn't pile up in front of the board when it's wet. Now for the purposes of this episode, we'll be focusing on their knowledge of the volume of the pyramid and talking a little about the the aesthetic intention behind it. So besides the volume of the pyramid, there's also more impressively the knowledge of a frustrum. A frustrum is a pyramid with a square base whose top has been chopped off. The volume of that is a third times its height times the sum of the bases squared. So a third times height times a plus b squared, and a and b are the areas at the top and the bottom of this truncated pyramid. We're not sure when they got the one-third from. It's possible that they already knew that the formula for the volume of a pyramid. The volume is a third times the height times the base squared, and then adjusted for the addition of a second base. Another possibility is that they knew the volume of a prism, so if you take pyramids with the same dimensions as the prism, like a rectangle, like a cube, and if you take three pyramids of the same dimensions and put them inside, it would fill up that cube. They would be capable of making these jumps in reasoning, so it's not hard to under so it's not hard to see that they that they knew this. But it is still very impressive. Not only would the people overseeing the construction have to know this, but builders themselves. And although they were slaves, there was a tradition in ancient culture to keep their slaves educated so that they could work better. Now, one claim that is made about the pyramids, especially the Great Pyramid of Cheops, is that it is built with something called the Golden Ratio. Now, this ratio can be seen in many famous works of art, in nature, and debatably in the human body. Those claims aren't wrong. The debate is over the intentional use of the number. Was it for aesthetic purposes, mathematical ones, or maybe it's just chance? Things that have this ratio within them tend to be aesthetically pleasing. So perhaps they built the pyramids to be as pretty to look at as possible, achieving the golden ratio entirely on accident. What is this ratio? But first, what is a ratio? A ratio is just a relationship between two, two measurements. How much water to how much rice you need, how many eggs to how much milk. So what is the golden ratio? What is it taking a relationship between? So besides the thing that got me interested in researching mathematics beyond the standard college curriculum, it is defined as the whole line segment 
is to the greater segment, so is the greater to the less. This was said by the Greek mathematician Euclid in his book Elements, who, will be who we will be devoting an entire episode to in due time. I'm going to repeat that sentence again and give you a way to visualize it. So if you take your arm, your arm is the whole line segment. It is to the greater segment, so let's go from elbow to fingertips. So the whole line segment is to the greater segment. Your whole arm is to your elbow to fingertip, as is the greater to the less, as is your elbow to fingertip is from elbow to shoulder. Let's see if this is true for the pyramid. The height of it is 146.151 meters, and the base is 230.363 meters. I'm about to throw a bunch of numbers at you and try to calculate this to see if we can get the golden ratio. If you don't follow along, no problem at all. Now the ratio requires that the slant height is to half the base, which is the same as our golden ratio. We'll call it phi, which is a Greek letter. So if we take half the base, we get 115.1815 meters. The slant height, which is the hypotenuse of a triangle, so if you plug in these numbers with the Pythagorean theorem, the half base and the height, you take the square root, we get 186.369 meters. Divide this by the half base that we found earlier, the 115.1815, we get, we get 1.61804. The golden ratio is 1.61803 going to the same decimal places. This is only off by 0 0.00001. It's a very close approximation and very impressive, but that's as far as anyone would get a close approximation. The number phi is an infinite non-repeating number, sort of like pi. There's no way to write it all out, which is why it's often written as just the letter phi, or as some sort of ratio. Now we're going to go back to the real question of the debate, now for a more phil philosophical approach. Was this intentional? I don't know. Nobody does because we can't ask them. But this ratio is in more than just architecture. You can see it in the double spiral of the Milky Way. You can see it in the spiral that's made in flower petals and leaves. Now the fact that this ratio is so common in nature makes people give it divine properties, or that this number being everywhere is evidence of an intelligent designer. Now I completely disagree. This number is everywhere. But why would a flower grow its petals in that way? Flowers don't have the ability to choose how they grow, except for what is the most efficient use of their energy. That's all, that's all there is. Each leaf and petal gets the most amount of sunlight and water without taking from others in this formation. If you had all the leaves and petals on stacked up against each other, it would look really pretty like looking down on it. On the outside, everything would be dead. This number that represents ultimate aesthetics turns out to also be the most efficient way to conserve energy. And our brains are exceptionally skilled at noticing patterns. It is a skill left over from our days of evolution, and one that has kept us alive. And simplifies the monstrous amounts of sensory information we take in every day. You can think of it like taking a bunch of documents and putting them together in a folder so that it clears up some space on your computer. By recognizing the patterns, you don't have to think of every time this has an event has happened, you know the general pattern of it. Then our mind assigns meanings to these patterns, even if the meanings are false. Take this and add a, on top of it a language created to describe the patterns of the world, math, and we will end up seeing numbers like the golden ratio everywhere. Seeing this repetition, we will begin to believe that this number actually means something, 
but we invented the concept of number. We invented the concept of ratio. So what's actually happening is us putting a number everywhere and then seeing it later and thinking there's significant meaning behind it that extends beyond its utility in nature. You may have experienced a microcosm of this whenever you buy a new car. You then begin to see that car everywhere. It's not that all of a sudden those kinds of cars are flocking to you. They most likely were already there, but you're now noticing them because you have created value in owning that same car. It's only with mathematics that we assign some sort of divine power, and that power is because mathematics is supposed to be unfalsifiable. It's meant to be true everywhere and always as the language of the universe existing beyond us. Now this is not meant to be pessimistic or ragging on the human race. There are, there are ideas about mathematics, how there are ideas about what mathematics is and how it exists. Those ideas are not questioned. But hopefully this is an example that gives us as a human race some more credit and not just we happen to tap in to some divine place where math lives. We were intelligent enough to create this number and this subject based off patterns that we saw. A group of people who held the intellectual capital of the world for thousands of years knew more than we give them credit for. They had knowledge that we are privileged enough to forget. And it isn't that we didn't know that they knew all these things. We knew that they knew. So I don't think it's a stretch to add race as a source of this kind of thinking. See, Africa was the birthplace of humanity. It's also the birthplace of mathematics, the most impressive invention we have in all of human history. So we knew what they knew. For some reason, we chose to actively erase that. Now this has been Mathematically Speaking. Thank you for listening in the next episode. And on the next episode, we're going to try and wrap this all together with the invention of calculators. Thank you for listening.